we have moments that we we talk about and people say well that's easy for you to say right it's easy for you to say uh, on occasion i have avoided sermons simply because uh it was not possible for me to preach them at that moment uh to avoid hypocrisy i'm like mm, I, I better put that one on hold it's kind of where I, I want to go, but, but I've got some work on me to do before I tell other people to do that. Other times, however, I have realized that I have a personality weakness, that there's going to be no moment in my life in which I'm not working on that particular thing. Uh, and then sometimes there are things that are by their nature difficult for any of us to master, uh, just simply because of we're human. And, and, and it's a topic that needs to be addressed. So someone's going to have to address it. And, and, and no one's got it under control. Now, these are all limitations that we as, as people have. They're not an excuse. I don't say this by way of excuse. But they are a reality that we have to look at. So at, at some point, you may think that's easy for you to say. Uh, understand that it isn't easy for me to say. I have preached this sermon already to myself once or twice by the time it gets to you. Uh, and, then, and then I'm doing it as, as we speak, or as I speak. I'm, I'm preaching it again to me. So I'm in the audience as well. Uh, we cannot talk about peace without talking about what? Right? You, you, we, we kind of have been talking about these passive things in our lives that bring us closer to God. If you talk about peace, you have to talk about what? Quiet. Right? It's even in the Bible. First of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. You can't talk about peace without talking about quiet. Peace and quiet, they go together, kind of like uh, being sick and tired. It's like the opposite of that. Uh, it's just sick and tired. It's just like, it's, it's, it's like one word, right? Peace and quiet, it's, it's, it's one word. I want some peace and quiet. Every parent specifically knows the need for peace and quiet. It is even in the Bible, as I say. Quiet is not a virtue itself. It, it, it's, not in the, it's not in the fruit of the Spirit. Nowhere, peace is, not quiet. But quiet, what is, what is the, the benefit? What is the, the virtue in quiet if we're going to talk about the need for quiet? Uh, now there are times where it's actually bad to be quiet. And there are times where someone needs to say something, and, and God says, you know, don't restrain yourself. Don't, don't restrain your mouth. We, we talked about this in Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, I had resolved. There was a point where I resolved I was done preaching. And, and the Spirit in me would not let me hold back the words. Jeremiah decided he was not going to talk, and he still couldn't. There are times where it is wrong not to talk. But quiet has a value. And it is in a means of, of creating an environment for peace. Creating a healthy environment. And in that, it is its virtue. And so we're going to be talking about quiet. Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep and he went, woke him 
saying, well, Christ, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, are you of little faith? And he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And there was great calm. Now, I have combined Matthew's version of this uh, with Mark. And Mark adds a phrase here that's, a, that's highlighted what he actually said. Matthew just tells us he rebuked it, but, but Mark records the actual words that he said. Peace be still. By the way, this is a picture of an actual boat uh, found in the Sea of Galilee. This is an actual shipwreck. So, so if you want to wonder why they were a little scared, put yourself in that ship on a, on a, on a, uh, on a stormy sea and see if you might be a little scared too. And then picture, in the back of that, is a guy sleeping. I don't know how you do that. Well, I sort of do know how you do that. Uh, when I was in high school, I, um, we, we at first lived with my grandparents when we, we had moved up from Texas to New York and we didn't have our own place yet. And so uh, for, for my freshman year and part of my sophomore year, we lived with my grandparents. And... Uh, and they lived way out, way out. The, the name of the road on which they lived was Hogback Road. All right, so, so this is just picture the area where you might be if, if the name of your road is Hogback Road. And, and it was, I was like near the end. And there was a rural route and there were dirt roads all over the place that we dropped off and picked up kids. And I was near the end. And I was so exhausted. I would, I would get home after we got out of school at 3, and, and I got dropped off at around 4. It was like an hour-long bus ride on dirt road. And by the end of the road, it's like, I was, you know buses, they're, just, they, they're buses. And I, was, I would fall asleep, and I had to be woke up every day to get off of this, this bus. And my head is, I talked with a guy after we finally moved into town, and I was talking with a, with a kid who was the next uh, his name was Jesse Ernest, and they were good family friends. And, and that is t- he's like, we used to think you were narcoleptic. Because you, you, your head would be rattling on, on, the, on the window of this bus just the whole way home. It's like an hour ride, and you're just doing this, and you would never wake up. We would be stopped for two minutes trying to wake you up. I, I understand Jesus. I, I don't know if I understand him the right way. I don't know why or how he fell asleep in that. Maybe he was just really exhausted from doing very important things. I wasn't really doing important things. I was just exhausted. But here he is. He's sleeping at the back of the boat. And we talked about this. We talked about being at peace. And, and being calm, really, is, is what we're talking about. Quiet is, a, is the environment of calm. And how the apostles really were at peace. They didn't know that they were at peace. But what were they with? Or who were they with? They were with Christ. And Christ is our peace, the Bible says. They were at peace, or they should have been. They should have known that they were with Christ. They were in the safest place in the universe at that moment to be. Christ was not going to let himself die. Not then. A little bit later. They were the absolute most safest place they could have been. And they were not at peace. Not here. God says, you need to have some calm. You need to understand your surroundings. And that's the point. Peace or quiet or calm, none of these have to do with our surroundings. 
Jesus had the same surroundings as the apostles, yet they were not common. He was. It didn't have to do with what they were in. We so often determine our, our calm and our peace by the things that are going on around us, and that has nothing to do with the calm that we can have and the quiet that we can have. It has to do with a condition of what is inside of me. How could Jesus be sleeping? He understood the significance of what that meant. That he knew who he was. For us to be at calm, we have to know how we are going to relate to our turbulence. Jeremiah chapter 46 says this. He says, Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Don't be dismayed, Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease. None shall make him afraid. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, for I am with you. I will make a full end of the nations to which I have driven you, but of you I will not make a full end. Now this is some, some points to bring out here. Sometimes God fixed the turbulence. Here he fixes the turbulence. In the boat, he fixed the turbulence. Peace, be still. I, I wonder if, by the way, I wonder if, if he, those aren't two statements. I, I, we kind of throw them together. But, but I wonder when he says, peace, be still, I wonder if he's not saying two things. I, I think the be still is for the wind, but I'm, I'm wondering if he's saying peace to the apostles. I could be wrong. But I wonder if he's saying peace, be still. The, the idea that the apostles need to be at peace because he's the one that can make things still. I could be wrong. That's just a, a thought. But here he says, once again, God is going to address the turbulence. God is going to say, listen, I'm going to make things, you're going to be at ease at some point. But pay attention because he says, don't have fear. Control these emotions. Because why? Because of something he's going to do in the distant future. In other words, they were going to have to experience some turbulence now. God does not always do things at the schedule that we have put up. Say, so listen, God, this is, uh, if we can handle this in the short term, this would be great. God says, I will handle the turbulence. You're going to have to wait some time. Now, how long were they going to wait? There's a clue in here about how long. Now, we know that the Babylonian captivity lasted for 70 years. But there's a statement in here that is important now. He says, I will make a full end of all of the nations to which I have driven you out. Well, I only know of one nation at this point that they were driven out to. The Jews. Now, the northern Israel... This is gone. They, they're, they're already non-existent. As it happened 100 years earlier, they were taken to Assyria and from there who knows where. He's talking here in Jeremiah specifically to the Jews. And they were going to only be taken into one nation that we know of. And that was Babylon. But he says, to all these other nations. What other nations were they driven to? So he's not even talking necessarily about the end of the Babylonian captivity. Another clue. 
and Zephaniah. It's the same idea, same, same basic uh, thought that Zephaniah is uh, giving. Zephaniah was a prophet about the same time as Jeremiah. He says, Behold, at that time I will deal with all of your oppressors. Hmm. Again, I only know of one oppressor at this point in time. But he's, he's talking about multiple ones. But he says, And I will save the lame. Hmm. And I will gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. And at that time I will bring you in. Well, this is where the ease is going to come in. At that time, I'm going to bring you in. And the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. And he's talking. The, the only thing I can think about with the lame and the outcasts is the statement of Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Right? He talks about his mission to, to really, this is the mission, the blind. I will give sight to the blind and healing to the sick and all those different things. And it's the same thing he said. John sends a message to him and he's in prison and he says, he says, are you the one that we look for? Or should we look for another? And he says, just go tell John, listen, the lame walk. The blind see. This is the message. Jeremiah and Zephaniah are not talking about a return from Babylon. They're talking about something that's going to happen 600 years in the future. And he says, fear not. I'm going to fix your turbulence in 600 years. Your calm, your ability to have quiet and peace and all those things we want has nothing to do with your immediate surroundings. It has to do with how you relate to them through Jesus Christ. So what is our role <clears throat> in the quiet? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and, and, and this is based on Hebrews 11, where he just talked about all those great things, the same idea. Hebrews 11, 1 talks about, all those great men of great faith and, and great character. And he says, these all died without receiving the promises. They never saw what it was that they were hoping for. And then he, that, that's, the, that's the segue to this chapter. And he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all those great men of the Old Testament, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There are so many details in here that apply to us in this very topic. The idea that Christ did not determine his joy based on his circumstances, on the turbulence he had. Who had more turbulence than Jesus? Who for the joy that was set before him did what? Endured a cross. That's turbulence. Was whipped. 
was beaten, was the disgusting nature of what the Romans did. Who for the joy set before him went through that? He was able to have an internal condition despite the turbulence going on around him. When we read this opening statement, our eyes, I think, are drawn to the sin which clings so closely. Because we think spiritually. Because that's where our mind is drawn religiously. Sin, forgiveness, Christ's work. But he says two things. He talks about two things. If we're, if we're going to get rid of that, not get rid of the turbulence, but if, if we're going to override that, those turbulent moments in life, he says there's two things to focus on. Not just the sin which clings so closely, that's obvious. He says lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. There's so much that drags us down and pulls us down that is not even sin. And Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 13. He says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, he's just explaining the parable. We're going to pull out just the explanation of it. You know the parable of the, the various seed and various soils. This is the one who hears the word, the rocky ground. He hears the word, he immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root in himself. He endures for a while. When tribulation or persecution rises on account of the word, he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, that's the one who hears the word, but the, the cares of the world... And the deceitfulness of riches choke it out, and it proves unfruitful. There's two common things that, that mankind has that pulls his eyes off of Christ. One is the sin. That's the second one Jesus addresses. Just like, just like, like Paul addresses the, the sin, the second. We, we focus on the sin, but he says, but there's this other thing where just the cares, just the turbulence of life drags us away from God. Pulls our eyes. It makes that seed unfruitful. And so, I want to talk about another aspect of quiet. Matthew chapter 14, verse 10 through 14. It says, He sent and had John beheaded in prison. We thought saw this, right? Referred to it already. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. She brought it to her mother. The disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. And when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there to a boat. Desolate place by himself. And when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And I want to talk about solitude. It's an important part of quiet. Creating the environment of peace. Jesus models solitude. He modeled, he, he modeled quiet in a boat and calm. And he models here solitude. An important word, and I use it a lot, it is done deliberately. It will only be done deliberately. Communion with God is something we have to focus on. Because there are always distractions. There's always distractions. You don't know a time when there's no distractions. A moment here, a moment there, and then boom, something else is coming up. That is called life. 
if it's not done deliberately, it will not get done. Some things are just like that. You just have to put it in a schedule. You have to put it somewhere. This is the part where you go, physician, heal yourself. Because I have distractions. I do a lot. Got a lot going on. Oh, I forgot to do this. Why? Because it wasn't deliberate. It wasn't in my spreadsheet. Now, I do want to notice that Jesus doesn't stay away. He gets away, but he doesn't stay away. And Jesus wasn't trying to teach that, that, that we should leave a monk's life and go up into the mountain and stay there and, and let those poor slobs down there deal with life. And we're just going to be up here thinking. That, that, that's not Jesus. He gets away. Life happens. We can't remove ourselves from it. And Jesus doesn't remove himself from it except temporarily, to, to try to create these moments of quiet through solitude. So what is the value in alone time? Since it's not a virtue, as we said, it's not a virtue in itself. Matthew 6, 5 through 7. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into the room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. I was, I was trying to figure out what means you're in a room and all this. It, 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 from what it appears, archaeologically, that the Jews had a, just, it was just a room in their house. It was just a part of their culture to have an inner prayer room. It is just, like, I guess if you're a contractor, this was just standard, you know. I, I suppose there's probably things like this. We just build them. We don't know why. We just, we, yeah, this is here. These are things that are a part of your culture. It was such a part of their culture that they had this room. But what it appears is that they had forgotten what the room was for, and they might be just using it as a closet or something. They, they had this room. It was about as big as what we would call a couch, a small couch, like a, like a love seat kind of. And, and it was originally for the purpose of going and praying. And Jesus has to remind them to go into the prayer room and pray. We, we get so caught up with other stuff that, that other stuff takes the place of the, the room. Right? It's, it's like cleaning up, cleaning up a room. I'm going to clean up my garage. I'm going to clean up this room. You come back. And what's going to be there? Stuff. I've got to, oh, I've, I've got a new place to put stuff. Right? This is my new closet. And that's the way our life gets. Our life gets overrun with stuff. Because I've got this wonderful, nice, clean place to put stuff. And Jesus reminds them, listen, that room was intended for a prayer room. A, a place of solitude. A place for you and God. And it does, here's the value in it. First of all, it gives you a place to speak freely. 
He's talking about all the things that all oh, these guys out there that they, they go out in public and what are they doing? All the these words that mean nothing. These these big words, big flowery speeches, and and, and he talks about the, the guy, he compares the, the guy. Here is a man that says, Oh, look, I'm not like this guy. And then the other guy was honest. That's what he's talking about, the character of honesty. And solitude gives you a place where you can be honest with God and not worry about what other people are going to say. That's the value, or one of the values at least, in solitude. The place where you can speak freely with God. That's one of two values. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 17. I'll get there. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. My son got me the soundtrack to the greatest movie of all time. Second greatest movie. Anyway. And, and I love this CD. Or this, uh, this uh, it's actually vinyl. It's kind of cool. And um, so I'm listening to it, I've watched this movie I do not know how many times in my life. And I'm listening to it, and I'm like, I don't remember this piece of music. I, I remember, like, I'm listening to both sides, and I'm like, I only remember, like, two or three of these pieces of music. Where in the world? I, I can't even think of the scene in which this is. I don't know when they started putting, someone out there probably knows this, music to movies. It probably was pretty early, I assume. You don't even think of the music that is coming. I tried to do this. I've tried to do this the last three times that I've watched a movie. And I, I, I forget. I got into the movie again. I try to think of, like, how much of this movie is actually music? That's kind of a weird thing, people talking and there's music playing, just randomly. And you don't even notice it. Our brain is, our brain is designed to filter out what's not necessary. That's why you don't pay attention to it. And that's why I get lost. I'm like, oh man, I'm sorry, I was trying to see. Our, our, our brains are designed to filter out the noise. <coughs> or, I, let me say that differently. Our brains are programmed to, fo- to, to filter out the the least important noise. Whatever seems to be most important to your brain, everything else goes, hmm. Not not significant. You ever played that game where where you have a person and and, and there's two people on either side of them and they both tell a story in their ear at the same time? You ever ever do that? And and have the person at the end? It's like two completely different stories. And, And at the end, he has to try to Tell the, both stories what he heard. And, and, and what he ends up is telling this mixture of the two stories. Because what your brain is trying to do is trying to go back and forth really fast between both things. That's really what, that's what we call multitasking. Going back and forth really quick. We're really horrible at it. God designed our brains not to really be able to do that. We have to be able to focus. We have to be in a place where we can focus on something. The other thing that solitude does for us, gives us a place to hear clearly. 
He says, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting amongst fools. First Kings, the story of Elijah on the mountain after he's this great contest and he's and he goes down into the dumps after this. His life is threatened and he, he runs away. And he's sitting there moping in a cave. And it says God came by and this, this he says, he says, God sent this strong wind. He says, this is what it says. says. The Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake <clears throat> was a fire. And that, that should get your attention. But the Lord was not in the fire. Ah. But after that was a little whisper. Guess where God was? God was in what it calls the still small voice. And this is why we need moments of solitude. Because we'll miss it. We end up mixing everything together. All the wrong stuff. We, 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 we have the world's turbulence going on around us. And our brain pays attention to what? What is the loudest? What, what grabbed Elijah's attention? Earthquakes and fires and wind and all this other stuff grabs his attention. And he has to be reminded, I'm not in all those things. I'm in a still, small voice. I'm in, I'm, in a, I'm in a place where you need solitude, you need quiet to hear me. Where you will hear clearly what God wants. We surround ourselves with so much noise. You are always around noise. Always around noise. You get in the car, turn on the radio. I do it too. I don't know what you listen to. But we always around noise. Turn on the TV, get home, TV, boom. Noise. Noise, 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 noise. We have to deliberately create moments of quiet. I'm not saying all the noise is bad. I'm just saying we surround ourselves with noise. Some of it's bad. Some of it's harmful. We listen to music. Watching TVs, we get into social agendas. That's really loud. We hear politics. That doesn't even stop anymore. It used to stop every four years. At least we'd have a little break. We don't have a break anymore from that. News. Business. Money. Video games. Noise, 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 noise. Always noise. And what happens, it's just like the little game. We mix it all together. We get this weird Christianized version of, of something that's just this mix. We've, we, I go and I, I listen to, to God a little bit. And I listen to all the other noise the rest of the week. And I get this weird mixed version. And people have this weird mixed version where they think really God is really into like social agendas. Oh, you know what? God is really into patriotism. 
It's really because he's really not. God is really about the flag. God is really about guns. God is really about whatever the thing is you think God is about. We get this mixed view. God is really about entertainment. God is really about this thing. And we have this, we've been trying to go back and forth. And we haven't allowed the time to just be deliberately quiet and hear God. A a place, David uses the word meditation. He wasn't talking about going up on a mountain and crossing his legs in lotus position and chanting. It It was hearing God. Listening to what God was saying to him through his word. Just listening to the still small voice. Because guess what? God's still small voice, it will be overrun by everything else. It will be overrun. Everybody else is yelling at you. And God says, I just, a still small voice. Your mind is programmed to hear the loudest thing. So you're going to have to be deliberate. And that's where we're going to close today. Be deliberate. To tune out. To take some time and tune out stuff. To, to, to see how much influence of all these different areas there is. That God says, tune it out. Then we can be at peace. Then we can be at calm. And we, when we foster a time of quiet, very.